Today we are continuing our series in the book of Mark. Uh, Mark is an eyewitness account of the life, death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you know, some of you, or most of you, we are in chapter 15. Now over the last few Sundays, we have seen Jesus falsely arrested, falsely tried by the religious leaders, and then unjustly crucified by Pontius Pilate. And last Sunday we saw Jesus being taken to the hill outside Jerusalem called Golgotha. He has been crucified between two criminals. That is where we left Jesus. He is bleeding and he is dying on that cross. He is suspended between heaven and earth. And this morning we are back at the foot of the cross. And what we want to do this morning is we want to listen in closely to those who are watching this public murder of Jesus of Nazareth. And we are asking a question, what do they make of this man dying in front of them? That's an important question to ask, isn't it? Because the reaction of the visitors helps us answer a bigger question we want to consider today about the death of Jesus. And the question is this, why did Jesus willingly stay on the cross? The Bible teaches us that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. And we've seen that evidence as we've been going through the book of Mark. So Jesus is God. And Jesus as God could have stopped his death. So why didn't he? Well, the answer is in today's passage in Mark chapter 15, verse 29 to verse 32, which our brother Victor read for us. And we can summarize the truth from this passage in one sentence. The answer to that question, we could summarize it like this. This passage is teaching us that Jesus stood on the cross to save us from our sin against God. Jesus willingly endured the cross, all the shame, all the pain and abuse, to save us from our sin against God. Jesus did not stay on the cross for himself. His death was not an accident. No, he willingly went there and stayed there. That's important. And he did that to give you and I new life with God. Now imagine with me for a minute you are in a hospital bed at Queen Elizabeth Hospital. You are in terrible pain. You cannot move any muscle. You feel helpless as you lie there in ward, I don't know, ward 20. Suddenly the nurses walk in, along with the doctors, and they find your belongings there. Of course they know they are there, so they start ransacking through your belongings. They take out your wallet, and they start sharing the bank cards among themselves. And in the meantime, they're grinning at you, yeah, yeah, we're taking the money. Of course you're lying there helpless. And they're saying, you know, we're really happy you're dying. It's a great thing. Thank you for the money. And we changed that will. We have all your possession. And then they walk out. And then after a few minutes, your colleagues walk in from work. Those people you haven't always got along with, right? They have your P45, right? And they tell you, we are so glad you're dying today. Oh, please do it quickly. Bye-bye. See you later. Right? How are you feeling at that moment, lying there helplessly? How are you feeling? 
choked, horrified. If you don't pray, you are now praying, aren't you? You are praying for a miracle to get better so that you could quickly settle the score with everyone. Now imagine that as you are lying there, you also have the power to get off the bed. Would you use it? Of course you would, right? All of us would, right? Well, in Mark chapter 15, verse 29 to verse 32, Jesus is facing a similar situation. He's facing a similar temptation, we might say, to get up from the bed. Except Jesus is truly God. So he really can get off the bed. And he's not sleeping in the bed. Jesus is God nailed to a cross. You see, as Jesus hangs there on the cross, the left and right hands of Jesus are impaled on a crossbeam. His feet are bound tightly together by a large nail run through his heels into the vertical upright timber. As Jesus hangs there, he is slowly sagging downwards. Every second, the nails in the wrists are putting more pressure on the median nerves. Those nails are carrying the pain all the way up to his arms and exploding it into his brain. Jesus, as he hangs there on the cross, is going through the most excruciating pain of his life. And as he pushes himself upwards, right, on that cross, to avoid this stretching torment of pain, he is now placing his full weight on the nail underneath that is tearing through the bones of his feet. As his arms get tired, cramps are sweeping through his muscles, noting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as he hangs on the cross, is in sheer agony. These cramps, you see, are making it difficult for Jesus to push himself upwards to breathe. He can take in the air, but it is difficult for our Lord Jesus, his lungs, to excel the hair. And so if you know a little bit about breathing, which we all do, what's happening to Jesus right now is that carbon dioxide is building up in his lungs and in his bloodstream. And as he manages to breathe out a little, the cramps then lessen a bit. So this is happening from time to time, isn't it? Jesus can push himself up to excel, and then it takes an eternity for him to excel out. And when he does, the process of pain repeats throughout his body. The arms, the nails, the, the feet. Jesus is enduring limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint rendering cramps, intermittent partial suffocation. And it is getting worse and worse. Because you see, on top of all of this, as Jesus is wriggling there on the cross, he's feeling the searing pain every time he moves up that upright timber, that rough timber. Why? Because he has been flogged heavily. And so there is tissue being teared continuously. The pain 
is hellish. Jesus is in a state of torture and agony. And we expect the visitors by his deathbed to care for him. But as we look at this passage, we see that the visitors have actually come to rub salt in his wounds. You see, Roman law dictates that crucifixions should be held in very public places so that it can send shivers down the spine of any potential, any potential criminals. And remember that this crucifixion of Jesus is being held during the Passover. So the city of Jerusalem is jam-packed with pilgrims. So there are probably thousands watching the murder, the public murder of Jesus. And many of them are smiling as they see Jesus struggle, aren't they? As they see him struggle to breathe, they are smiling. They are taking selfies. They are streaming it live on YouTube. They hate Jesus. They hate him because he once said something about the temple they didn't like. Look at verse 29 to verse 30 of Mark chapter 15. It says this, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha ha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. They are, of course, right that Jesus once said he would destroy the temple and raise it again in three days. But they misunderstood, they have misunderstood what he's talking about, what he was talking about. Jesus was not talking about the building, Herod's building. No, he was talking about his body. John reminds us of that. Jesus was saying he was going to die and rise from the dead after three days. But they don't care about that. They've misunderstood that because, you see, they have come far and wide to come to the temple, right? They live for the temple. And any idea that the temple may be, the furniture in the temple may be rearranged by Jesus somehow, doesn't go down very well with them. In their head, they're asking, are you really greater than the God who gave us this temple? And of course, we know he is. But they don't know that. They are spiritually blind. And so they are abusing him for that. And once they get off the stage, we are told another group show up to Jesus' deathbed. The religious leaders. As I said, if it was today, we would expect the religious leaders have come only to see Jesus for a selfie moment. They want a photo of them with the cross in the background. Jesus there. To show their friends. Because you'd think the Sanhedrin would be hard now holding a victory party. I mean, they've got what they wanted. So you'd think they'll just leave Jesus alone and they'll go there, toss it up as it were. But no, they've decided to start the victory lap from the cross. And so we read in verse 31 to verse 32. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him. They mocked him to one another saying, He served others. He cannot serve himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. They are taunting Jesus. They are saying, ha ha, what a pathetic sight. Look how weak you are, Jesus, on that cross. Come down from that cross. Come on, give it a try. Give it a go. Get off that cross if you can. We dare you to do that. They are taunting Jesus. 
Everyone has turned against Jesus, including the two criminals crucified alongside Jesus. Now we know that one of them later changes his mind, but at the beginning is with the others. We read that at the end of verse 32. We read verse, if we read verse 32, it says, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Verse 32 ends, Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. What are the criminals saying to Jesus? Are you, in, are you intrigued to hear what the criminals are saying? Well, you don't have to be intrigued. According to Luke 23, verse 39, one of them is saying to Jesus, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. I repeated that because, you see, if we step back and think about what is happening... We can see a pattern here, can't we? We can see that Jesus, on the cross, is in the middle of his final temptation from the devil. The passers-by are saying to Jesus, get off that cross. Prove you are greater than the God who gave us this temple. And we will accept you as worthy of worship. The religious leaders are saying, Jesus, save yourself from that cross. And you have asked the elite, you know, every blog from now on will be about you. You're going to have more worshippers than you ever desired. It is our voice that counts. And if you hear us, if you get off that cross, well, we will worship you and the rest of the nation. Do you see it? The devil is using all these visitors at the cross to say the same thing in different ways to Jesus. You don't have to do this. Stop humiliating yourself. You are God the Son. Don't be weak like this. There is a better way. Live for yourself. Forget the cross. Save yourself. Reward yourself. And punish them. Are these really the people you have come to die for? Who are putting you on the cross? Who are taunting you like this? That's what the devil is really saying to Jesus at that moment. That's the temptation Jesus is facing. But Jesus, here we see, remains completely silent. No word from him. He is refusing to use his divine power to save himself. He is choosing to remain on the deathbed of the cross. He is embracing death in agony and abuse. When he can stop it. And we have to ask, don't we, why is Jesus doing that? And the answer, strangely enough, is in the insults of the visitors. You see, the visitors don't know this, but their insults are ironic. In other words, everything they are saying to Jesus as they watch him die on the cross has a far deeper meaning than they intend to mean. We see this especially in verse 31. Look at verse 31. Verse 1 says this, So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. 
The religious leaders think they are insulting Jesus by saying he saved others, he cannot save himself. But what they are saying is exactly what is happening. Jesus cannot save himself from death and save us from the wrath of God at the same time. It's impossible. Someone has to die. It is either Jesus remains on the cross and goes on in a few moments from now to suffer in darkness the wrath of God for three hours that we deserve, that you deserve for every sin you have ever committed. Either Jesus does that or Jesus walks away from the cross and allows you to suffer the wrath and punishment from God that you deserve when you die. It's either Jesus or it is us. He either serves others or he serves himself. And the good news of the Bible is that Jesus willingly stayed on that cross. He willingly decided to serve others, not himself. He willingly died in your place so that you can have a new life with God forever. We see that truth in another irony. Look at verse 32. In verse 32, it says this. The, 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 the Pharisees, the, 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 the chief priest said this in verse 32. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. The chief priests think they are mocking Jesus by calling him the Christ. Did you notice that? They are actually calling him the Christ. God's promised King of Israel. They think that's a mocking to use that title. What they don't realize is that he is really the Christ. What they don't realize is that at the very moment they are mocking him, they are declaring him as king. In the same way, the plaque that Pilate put there was meant to mock the Jews, but actually declared Jesus as the king of the Jews. You see, what they don't realize is that Jesus is the king who reigns from the cross, not from a golden throne. This death of Jesus is his enthronement as our king. Jesus, as he's lifted up on that cross, as he stays on that cross, as he embraces death, he's drawing all who repent and trust in his death to himself. To give them new life in his kingdom. And this is what all of this is about. All of this is about Jesus willingly staying on the cross to save you and I from sin and to give you new life in his kingdom. You see, most people think of God as a stingy person, as a sort of Pharisee, you know, just somebody who's waiting to punish us. That's the image they have of God. But the Bible shows us a God who's very different. It shows us a God who wants to be with us. God is not cheering us onto hell. His heart beats love for us. Because you see, all of us have rebelled against God. And we deserve eternal death. But God has come in Jesus to welcome us home, to restore us back to Himself, to pay the price that we deserve. You see, Jesus is not on that cross for Himself. Jesus did not endure the cross for himself. He did it for you. 
He did it for me. He was dying there for you. And he was abused there for you. He thought of you as he was dying there. That's the good news of Jesus. No matter where this world puts you, no matter what you have encountered, the fundamental truth in Jesus is that God has loved you before the foundation of the world. You are not defined by life circumstances if you are in Jesus. You are defined by this truth that God loved you so much. When all the world and others were turning from you, God turned his face towards you. He pursued you with his love and died on that cross for you. And so then the question you and I must answer is this. What do you make of Jesus? What do you make of his death there on the cross? Is it a joke to you? Like the passers-by? Or is it salvation to you? That's the question all of us this morning must answer. We must not leave this place without having answered that question. Because you see, at the foot of the cross, there are only two camps. Did you notice? There is Jesus and there is everybody else. Even the disciples are missing. And the question all of us then have to answer as we come to the foot of the cross, this very moment, are you standing with Jesus there, being abused? Or are you with his abusers? Are you with those who are skeptical about him? The question is, are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have surrendered your life to him? Or are you still standing on the fence? Like those passers-by, they saw it was interesting, they laughed at Jesus and they went on with other business during the week. Are you still not convinced after all we have heard about Jesus in the Gospel of Mark? That's the question you have to answer. Jesus is now dying there on that cross for you. So this morning, I encourage you to be convinced about Jesus, to recognize that Jesus laid down his life for you. Come to him, do what is right. Stand with Jesus, not with the devil. Come to him. Admit you are a sinner. Tell Jesus you repent of your sin and surrender your life to him. He died for you. Tell him, I am now your follower, Jesus. I only want to live for you. I want to stand with you and not mock you by living for myself. I am now yours forever. Well, if you do that, if you repent and surrender to Jesus... Right now, God will forgive all your sin and give you a new life with him forever. Do not delay. Do it now. Do not mock Jesus anymore. What about those of us who are already trusting in Jesus? How should we respond to this amazing truth that Jesus willingly endured the cross for us? He willingly endured the cross to save us. How do we respond to that? Well, first of all, let us tell Jesus this morning how truly thankful we are for the cross. Tell Jesus how thankful you are that he stayed on that cruel cross to save you and to bring you into his kingdom. You see, because Jesus stayed on the cross, you have now been set free from the penalty and power of sin. You are no longer a spiritual slave. 
Jesus, your great Redeemer, who has purchased your freedom from the power of sin, death, hell, and Satan, has now set you free for himself forever. You see, because Jesus stayed on the cross, your war with God has ended. God is not angry with you anymore. Jesus has ended our rebellion against God. The heart of God beats peace for you now. God only, God has, has only got thoughts of peace about you. Because the blood of Jesus has reconciled you to God. Because Jesus stayed on the cross, his sacrificial death to God has taken away all your filth and sin. Jesus is your voluntary and perfect sacrifice. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are no longer defined by events. We are no longer defined by even our own heart's disposition. We now stand welcomed in Jesus. Because he has, been, he has died on that cross for us. There is now no distance between you and God. God now completely loves you. He completely approves of you. He completely accepts you. He completely delights in you as his own child in Jesus. You see, because Jesus stayed on the cross, there is now no condemnation for you who is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is your perfect substitute before God. As the hymn writer says, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah! What a savior! All because Jesus stayed on the cross for you. Because you see, because Jesus stayed on the cross, he went on to die and rise from death for you. And his resurrection has brought you new life and union with God forever. You are now united to God in Jesus forever. His Holy Spirit now lives inside your hearts. And he is growing you every day to become like Jesus. And so no matter what difficult circumstances you are facing this morning, your future is already written. God is bringing you into the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, brothers and sisters, because Jesus stayed on the cross, one day we shall see God face to face and live with God forever. Never again will we suffer because of the cross. Never again will we sin because of the cross. Never again will we have to die because of the cross. Because Jesus stayed on that cross for you, for me. So how can we respond to that? Only worship. To praise and thank him for enduring the shame on that cross. To thank him for all the spiritual blessings that he has given us. So the first response is worship. The second response, briefly, is that we must learn from the example of Jesus to resist the temptation to sin against God when we are going through deep challenges and sufferings in our lives. I want to remind you again that Mark is writing this book to followers of Jesus in the first century Rome going through intense persecution. We must never forget that. 
This book of Mark is a pamphlet for hard times. These believers are suffering at the hands of the mad Emperor Nero. He is burning Christians alive as torches. He is literally throwing them into the arena facing gladiators and they are being tossed off to lions. These Christians are marginalized in their society. The way they have chosen to live out their faith has distanced them from everyone. They are viewed by everyone else as widows, too serious about Jesus. They are facing shame, not the mask, shame, death, not visors, death, discrimination, lies, slander, abuse beyond imagination. It is hard being in such situations. And when we face such situations, there is a temptation, isn't there? For us to cut corners in our faith so that we can fit in in society and somehow live comfortable. Or we may just become inward. Give up church. It's too risky. Or many other things. You see, every suffering and challenge is a huge temptation for us to become self-focused. We are tempted to live for ourselves rather than God. I was thinking about this and I thought to myself, when I'm going through suffering, it tempts me to do what is only better for me rather than my wife or my daughter or even God. You see, suffering makes us vulnerable to sin. It makes us self-focused and it can destroy the most cherished of relationships. I thought to myself, the biggest issue with suffering is that it is a temptation. And the temptation is selfishness. Because we may start thinking in those moments of deep suffering, we may withdraw from God and we may focus only on ourselves. We, rather than allowing the world to revolve around God, we may want it to revolve around us. That's the biggest battle we face. And it is a hard battle. And I'm so encouraged that Jesus faced it here. We see it here. We must look at these verses again, perhaps this afternoon in your own time, because here is the answer of how we respond to temptation. Here is the answer of how we should understand our suffering. We should understand whatever suffering we are facing as a temptation. But also we should understand it as an opportunity for us to live for God. To become more like Jesus. Because how should we respond to, to this temptation? Well, we must follow the example of our Lord Jesus, isn't it? He refused to allow suffering to turn him inwards. Instead of Jesus claiming his rights as God and walking away from the cross, he could have done that. He could say, I've had enough. Enough with you guys. I'm off. He could have done that. But he didn't. He renounced his privileges and stayed on the cross for you and I. Instead of responding to all the taunts he got, He's trying to do right for them, but instead of responding to all the taunts, all the abuse, all the humiliation he was getting, 
Instead of responding to that, Jesus remained silent. That's not to say Jesus didn't speak. He's going to speak later. There's a time for everything. But the point is, his silence at this moment, right, was a prayer to God. Jesus was saying, not my will, but yours be done. It's Gethsemane all over again, isn't it? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is self-forgetful. He's staying on the cross because he is happy to be a nobody for God. He is happy to be humiliated and shamed for our sake. Can I encourage you this morning, if you are going through a difficult time, to follow the example of Jesus, whatever the situation is. Ask Jesus to help you turn the temptation of suffering into an opportunity to become more like him. I know that's very, very difficult. For many of our situations we are facing, it's difficult. But here is the encouragement, isn't it? The encouragement here is that God is allowing your suffering and challenge as a means of grace to grow you to depend more on him. Why is God letting me suffer? Why is letting me suffer to, for me to die to myself and live for him? That's the only answer. Otherwise, suffering serves no purpose for the Christian other than that. There is no other answer. The hope in our suffering is not necessarily that we're gonna, things will get better tomorrow. They might never get better until we die. It's not that there won't be other threats we'll face. Threats are all around us. Worse things perhaps. The hope of suffering is that somehow God is present on the cross and is using our situation as it were. As we die with Jesus there. He's using our situation and our suffering to make us more like Jesus. So my encouragement this morning as I come to an end is do not waste your suffering. Allow your suffering to escort you into the arms of Jesus. Ask Jesus now to help you to endure it like he did for God. Jesus is your brother. He is your friend. If you trust in him, he is your brother and he is your friend. He is your God and he will help you because he loves you. You are the reason he came into this world. And you are the reason he endured that cross. He came to save you and to bring you into his kingdom of love and grace. Amen.